0: You're listening to Traumedy, the podcast that helps you transmute your trauma with comedy. It's therapeutic humor. I'm Nancy Norton. I'm a comedian, a registered nurse, and a keynote speaker. I go around and share the good news about humor, how it will help you move out of a state of overwhelm and into a state of manageability. Also, so great for creative problem solving, health and all kinds of other benefits. This is peer to peer sharing. I love having guests on I learn something every episode and I hear from you, the listeners who are also learning and offering to be a guest and share your wisdom. This is how we grow exponentially when we share wisdom with each other. You might relate to this episode if you had anything different about you or different about your family than the quote-unquote traditional family. This week's guest is a writer, a comedian, whose humor arose early in life to help her cope with being bullied for having an older dad, and then also helped her deal with losing her dad in her 20s. Welcome to Traumedy. My guest this week is Rebecca Robinson. I love the alliteration. Welcome, Rebecca.
1: Hi. Hi. Thank you. My middle name's an R2. Oh, what is it?
0: It's Rose. Oh, it's beautiful. Rebecca Rose Robinson. <laughs> and my dad, was, yeah. my dad was a pirate. R. Okay.
1: <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I had a preschool teacher who would do that, and oh. now, like, retrospectively... I think it's creepy.
0: <laughs> He'd oh, be like, Rrr. "Oh, she would do it like that."
1: I was. <laughs> oh, it was a man. Yeah. Oh, he would do it like a.
0: Row.
1: Yeah. Oh, that is
0: creepy. I was
1: doing yeah. a pirate. Arr, no, yours was good. Yeah, yours is good. <laughs> but the he he would just kind of go off on that, and for years, I recently I just was like, I think that was bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that I look back on how it made my stomach feel. Well, Rebecca, thanks for, thanks for your interest in Traumedy and thanks for, you know, listening and giving me feedback. Can you just share? I'm just curious. We haven't even talked, but what, is there any episode or anything that kind of went, oh, that, like, did you learn anything or anything spark or anything that pops to your mind? No pressure.
1: I mean, I think one thing that's really important um, that's being showcased is that trauma, Uh, can look like anything like so many people have such vast different experiences that have an imprint on their lives and some person may see it as trauma and the person who experienced it you know identifies it as trauma and um so it's, it's interesting to see how we all identify with things and how we all kind of um know what is and what isn't and then have someone else's perspective on it.
0: Hey, yeah. Thanks for acknowledging that because it is, it's very much the, the, the person who experienced the trauma, it's up to you to say, was that trauma? And I think, I mean, there are definitely clinical definitions of PTSD and complex PTSD.
1: I mean, I, I have both, but not from, you know, what we're going to talk about, but I have complex PTSD, but from other things.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, so you, you I have a nice I, variety. You have a nice sampling of yeah, trauma. No,
1: I have, I have a melange of, <laughs> of trauma, but I think it's, I think it's such a word that's like in the zeitgeist that's kind of more lighthearted now than the clinical definition.
0: And not to minimize like to, if it's being overused.
1: <laughs> uh, let's talk about, let's talk about our
0: friendship because as I recall and tell me if I'm wrong, yeah, I recall meeting you in Boulder at a little open mic, perhaps in 2018 when I was getting ready for Boston Comedy Festival, and I was trying to practice doing five minute sets in different settings so that I could get the beats down because I hadn't been doing. You
1: anything. could win.
0: <laughs> I was not even planning on winning, but I wanted to do well. That's for sure. And I was
1: like, I just want to do. Some, I just want to learn how to do a tight five. So is that right? was that? Yeah, that's that- right. I think, I think maybe we met like prior to that, but I think that's when our friendship formed, like when we became more than just people standing in the same room, because I remember, um, you helped me with forming my opener. That was my opener and until like last year, basically, um, because I was having like not an issue, but I just needed to calm down when I first got on stage. And you kind of helped me workshop this bit where you were like, oh, what if you say this instead? And I was like, genius. And then it was, it was my opener. So. And it worked. Yeah, yeah. So
0: you were very helpful. <laughs> oh, I'm, that makes me feel good because people have helped me. And there's something about it's it, I love working with comedians on stuff because we can't see it. We get too close to it. Sometimes it's so nice to have fresh pair of eyes, or in my case, at least one eye on, 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 the subject and go, Hey, what if, yeah, what if this, I love that. I love that with uh, comedians that we can yeah, help same. each other. I,
1: I, I think collaboration is, it makes people stronger. I mean, in almost every aspect of life, but especially in comedy.
0: Yeah. Co-creativity is so fun and things that you would never get to on your own. And so thanks for co- being a co-creator of helping ourselves first of all I mean that's my mission statement help heal myself and others and Eric Henderson said last week something profound which I maybe everybody already knew this but I I didn't because I've been trying to heal others and he's like I think you can only heal yourself what do you think about
1: that I agree to I agree with that to some to a certain extent I think in order to truly help heal others, I mean, other, you have to heal yourself. You have to want, you have to be willing to heal yourself. And, um, I think the more healed you are as an individual, the more healing energy you're putting out into the world that others can receive and then do their own work with. I don't think that an individual can heal another person, but I think that you can help kind of give that person legs to stand on to start their process.
0: Oh, beautiful. And that's a lot. What 12 step programs do. I always say kind of provide the scaffolding, but also what just came to me was that we, we can extend that, like connect, connect each other with that healing energy. Like maybe, maybe I can be the conduit that brings the healing energy to another person. And then if they, want it I just have to really make
1: sure they want exactly I force it no I think I I don't please don't say that because I think um by first of all you having this intention to do that that in itself is beautiful and puts puts good uh, energy into the world but also by having this podcast that people can listen to and share and resonate with like you said like if someone's listening to this and they go oh i have a similar experience maybe i should take a look at that maybe i should dive deeper like i think that is exactly what's happening
0: thanks rebecca and i keep saying i mean i'm gonna repeat myself because hey what else have i got to do um, <laughs> the the buoyancy that i always feel like humor gives me this buoyancy that allows me to dive deeper deeper and deeper to do the deeper work. Cause I know I have the resilience of humor that I will pop back to the surface and I'm not going to drown down there, you know, or get stuck down there. And it's been a, it's been a lifelong companion and I'm so grateful for it. How about you? So when did you, that you recognize humor as a, a helper uh, in your life?
1: Yeah, I, I would say very, very young. Um, I would probably say like around the third grade, um. Uh, when I started having severe awareness of morbidity and death because I had a very, my dad was much, much older um, when he had me. He was almost 60. And so um, I learned through a pamphlet for a retirement home Kind of like, oh, dad might die soon. And so I suddenly was trying to catch up in the world with the idea of like, well, if if things are funny, then they're not bad. You know, like, if if I'm able to deal with this and make jokes and, you know, even going through, you know, high school and middle school and getting bullied and being able to reflect it on myself and be like, well, there is some humor to what they're saying. Or, like, there's humor to the situation that someone is saying this and really this is happening to them. Like, I think I've been unintentionally... And I hate I hate I hate being like I'm funny, but I, <laughs> but I but I do think I've been um like unintentionally funny and leaning on humor for a majority of my life just because like you said, you bounce back and It's something that is a new, it's a shift in perspective, like whether it's intentional or not. uh, It's a way to look at things with a different lens. Yeah, I think it's a very organic process
0: that we come to it. or Like you said, unintentionally, it just happens kind of like out of necessity or kind of like a sneeze or a... a yeah. Or, or breathing, sur- like, you know, survival like. Tactic. Uh, it's a survival. It is a survival tactic. And it's almost like, like, you didn't learn, I didn't learn this till I think nursing school that when you grimace, it releases endogenous morphine. Like, and so does smiling, the same motion with your face. If you make it, if you make that face, if you like, you know, like squeeze your teeth and yeah. grimace, that somehow signals your brain to release painkillers, endogenous morphine. And so the same with laughter. It releases endorphins, which is an yeah. endogenous that we make morphine in our bodies. We have these healthy opiate receptors that help kill pain. So humor kills pain and it's painful. Yeah. I mean, that is the original pain, isn't it? Of the human condition. I think when we realize so yeah. realizing that we have this mortality and you're in third grade, so you're probably seven or eight at the most, seven, yeah, probably eight.
1: seven or eight. Yeah, I mean-
0: That's about the age when kids can understand the concept of death and and then your dad. So your dad would have been at that time, 67 or 68. And then where was this pamphlet at your house? Like this retirement
1: home? I remember it so vividly, and I don't remember a lot of things about my childhood or just in general because, like I was saying earlier, I have PTSD, so that sucks up memories. But I remember um, coming home from school and getting the mail, and there was a pamphlet for the retirement community in in my town and i read through it what i understood from it was this is where you went before you died when i when I, I didn't understand that there my dad had autonomy over going there or not like i didn't understand if you were just sent there or not or you got to choose so when i read it i kind of collapsed in my entryway of my house and was crying thinking like oh my dad's going to be sent away because this pamphlet says he's dying soon. (laughs) Oh, wow. And
0: I can see that through a third grader's mind because look, we had to, it's like when you're five, you go to kindergarten. When you're six, you go to first grade. And it's just, all these things are mandatory. We didn't get any choice. And I can see where you're like, okay, when you're at that age, 60, whatever, you maybe didn't even know, but of of retirement age, you go to the retirement home and then and then that's the last, uh, towards death. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah. So, and I, and I know now, like I'm in my sixties now, so there's a part of me chuckling like, Oh shit. Sixties. <laughs> Cause I do actually, I do a lot of jokes about, you know, decomposing while alive, but yeah. I, I, because I am dealing with, uh, the, uh, I mean, that's what
1: L'Oreal products are for.
0: <laughs> oh my God. And all the facelifts that, Oh yeah. But to a kid, Uh, sixties, like my grandmother, that's yeah, that was my grandma was the first age I remember her being was 64. And so I think she's about the same difference in age, like maybe six. Yeah. She was about 60 years older than me. That felt old when I was a kid, you know, 64 felt really old. Now I'm going to be 63 next week. Hello.
1: Oh my god! Happy birthday! Ah, thanks. At every year on my birthday, I just say to myself, "You made it another year. You
0: survived. <laughs> Way to go!" Yeah, I'll clap for that. So you were you were very aware, and probably like my. I'm 44 years older than my son, so when I would pick him up from preschool, they'd go, "Is that your grandma?"
1: And yeah, and that was. That's, I mean, that's what I wrote my college essay on.
0: <laughs> was that? Was it called? Is that your grandpa?
1: Yeah, something similar. Well, people always thought that when my parents would go out to eat, because my parents have a large age gap, that my mom was his daughter and I was his granddaughter. And so they'd always be like, oh, Elliot, you're out to dinner with your grandchildren. And we all would be like, nope, <laughs> this is his nuclear family.
0: Yes, <laughs> again. And then so every that came up a lot for you guys. Now, oh, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sidetrack you, but do you want to talk about that a little bit too? Like how to process one? It's similar to like, oh, when you have an adopted child and obviously he's, and he's from a different heritage than I am. And so people, people just say things, you know, they're curious or they just make assumptions and that's always an interesting, awkward and I don't know, it's a task. It's actually a task a pub, to be in public and not get pissed off. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think so. I I think it's one of those things that, like, I I guess I subtly got used to it, like, by the time I was older, you know, like, by the time I was in high school, I was like, okay, this happens. But, again, it's it's, you know, talking about the way other people view the world and the assumptions people make and to constantly have to correct people. When my dad is out of swim meet or, you know, w- whatever was happening. I mean, I know it took a toll on my mom as well to always be thought of as, oh, maybe his daughter or some young, like, piece of tail, like, instead of, like, hit- taken seriously as his wife. How do I phrase it? When people assume something about you, whatever it may be, I think it's a reflection of them and like how, how they've experienced the world so far. So if you're only seeing, you know, people who are 63 years old with five-year-olds and their grand grandchildren every single time, then it's going to be an anomaly that you meet a family where the dad is in his sixties and the children are, you know, in elementary school. And so constantly having to correct people and, you know, also having the exhaustion and kind of sometimes just being like, yeah, he's my grandfather, like brushing it off and being like, it's not even worth the explanation, like, or the breath to tell you what's going on. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, and it, I was just thinking too, how it can kind of take you out of your own experience because you forget, Like you're having just a dinner or you're just out at the park or whatever. And we're out with our family. Then for somebody to define it from their perspective, it it, it would take me out of myself a little bit. Like, well, kind of like my lazy, I can do that. Honestly, I could be having a conversation and forget about it, you know, and then somebody yeah. say, Oh, are you talking to me? Or I don't know something. <laughs> I mean, it really, and then I'm like, Oh yeah, I have a disfigurement. You know what? I forgot. I'm different. Yeah. I, and I think that's the thing. Oh, I forgot. We're different. Did you have that experience? Did it kind of take you out of yourself or, um, am I, I putting words yeah, in
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's one of those things where you kind of question your, like I would question my existence in the sense where I would be like, oh, is this wrong? Oh. Like, is um incorrect because of this? Are, are things not supposed to be this way? And the way that you're saying, like your eye like takes you out of the moment when someone points it out, it's the same thing where you're like, Oh, or it's a similar thing. I don't want to say it's the same, but it's a similar thing where you're going like, oh, now do I need to act a certain way because this is the circumstance and someone's figured it out or or what have you? Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Like, should I act with
0: should I know my place in society? Should I now behave as though? Oh, yeah, you're better than me. Um, or I'm different, so I should have a little lower, I don't know, lower status in the I, I don't know if that's what you meant, but I, I, I did feel like all of a sudden like, oh, I can feel more like a sense of equality now yeah. when it's just voice, but if I'm up next to your family or my family like i am just a single mom just i'm not going to say that i shouldn't even say just i am a single mom yeah. i'm very proud to be a single hard. mom it's hard as you're fuck hard <laughs> but, but but when you're in the the elementary school uh, directory you know you think there are more single moms i was just like wow there are not i think there was one other actual single mom Wow, in the directory surprising. yeah like I'm like oh I'm the lone duck like there's always that spot where you have to write na for the father's information <laughs> you know like yeah not applicable so when you I were mean, saying tell me what you meant I kind of jumped in like well that's how I think I sometimes no. jump to my low self-esteem
1: or lower no. status but what about you when you? I, I I second that I think there's like this feeling of like being lesser than I I, I guess I am supposed to be a certain way and I can't reach that because this is how how I am in my circumstance. And, um, you know, it it's one of those things where, like, even now I have when I see a dad playing with his kids in the pool or something um, like a young father playing with his kids in the pool and being like, oh, my dad like didn't do that. Like he was kind of over that part of his life (laughs) by the time that he had us. And I'm not saying that he didn't want my, my brother and I, I'm saying that like, he was already old. Like he had lived this jubilant life already. So when I see that now and, and have seen it my whole life, I'm there's a there's an envy, I guess that kind of strikes me where I'm like, oh, like, is that what was supposed to happen? Is that what was supposed it was supposed to look like? and how does that feel? You know, how do those people, how do those people feel? That they had
0: like a, a parent playmate kind of person. Yeah, my parents weren't like that either. even though they were just 33 years older than me. It was like they were old 33 year olds. I can't explain it, but my parents, like they were never on a bicycle, <laughs> you know, they were just, yeah. like, they weren't the kind to go out and like play catch or
1: let's, yeah. they
0: did play game. We played card games and stuff like that. But what about, you know what I would love to hear? I, I mean, although I first, I don't want to skip over you needing to to, no, to, say, to, to grieve or to acknowledge and just like, okay, I didn't get that. And I, and when I see someone else have that, there's a part of me that that grieves that, you know, that grieves that, that lack of that experience. I don't know. Or did it create a lack that wasn't there just because other kids, I just don't know. But do you feel (laughs) like you've had to grieve that?
1: Um, Yeah, I do. There's an Amanda Bynes movie called What a Girl Wants, where she discovers she has a dad. Her whole life, she's been a caterer at weddings, seeing um, father-daughter dances, And she's always thought to herself, I'll never have a father-daughter dance. And I always, I love this movie. It's an Amanda Bynes classic. Um, Okay, I got to check it out. But but when she, so, but I never really, I never connected with that idea because I've never really connected with the idea of marriage, um, which is like a huge theme. And then more recently, as I've been attending weddings, more weddings, and seeing father daughter dances, I'm like, I am Amanda Bynes. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I, I don't get to experience this, this thing that happens, but, um, you know, like it, it unfortunately it is what it is. It, it's, uh, and it, it is the scenario that I've been placed in. So I, I think there's, uh, a lot of different types of grief that come along with what, uh, what, with my
0: father, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I hadn't thought about the father-daughter dance. I'm sorry you won't get to have that. And I know you're saying you don't. You're not really marriage. I didn't like. That's not your. Yeah, it's thing, but, thing. but just the fact that you cannot. <laughs> yeah, have exactly, that yeah. exactly. Before we talk about the loss of your father, because I know he has passed, and that's why you're saying
1: that yeah, you don't yeah, get to have.
0: Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I know. I spoil it spoil the rest of the podcast. Uh, is he still with us? Okay, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he probably is in some form. I don't know. I'm very spiritual. I've, I'm sure I annoy people with my spirituality, but um, I mean, we
1: both lived in Boulder. <laughs> uh, right?
0: Oh. Uh, so, but I was curious about some of the special things that an older father might have that a younger father doesn't. Like do you ever compare with friends about your dad, I don't know, having different perspective or maybe because he's more uh, evolved as a person or more you know developed as a human. I don't know, I was just curious what yeah. what might be the what are the silver linings of having an older father?
1: Well, so my dad was born in 1935, which seems like a a lifetime ago. There's a few things that I take away from that. When I was in school, every time I learned a new event in history, I would subtract the year that the event took place and then find out how old my dad was when it was happening and I found, you know, he was alive for so much. Um, So many things happened. I mean, he was from Savannah, Georgia um, as, and he was Jewish. And so, and he, he went to a segregated school, you know, and he was, he was called things like a dirty Jew and like much worse. And so he, you know, he was alive during the Holocaust. Like it's, it's one of those crazy things where, he experienced so many different types of struggles that I don't think can be replicated today. I mean, obviously, racism is still rampant and, you know, we're, we're still at war with so many people. But I think I think struggles back in the 1930s and 40s and really up until the aughts, you can't duplicate. And so, like, my dad, um, he loved to read from Poor Richard's Almanac. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Poor Richard's Almanac. So Poor Richard's Almanac uh, was under one of Ben Franklin's pseudonyms. So it was one of his uh, books, and it kind of would predict like the weather, and it was for farmers originally. So it would say like it's going to be dry this season, and here's where when it's going to be wet. But it also had wisdom in it. So it had things like. Um, Early to bed, early to rise makes a young man healthy, ye- wealthy, and wise.
0: Oh, and that was in, and so then, and then the Farmer's Almanac was
1: based on that. This was in the Farmer's Almanac. So these kinds of things were embedded within it. But, but is it published every year? Like there's the Farmer's
0: Almanac? Yeah. So that, I, I believe so. I believe so. Because there's a different pattern of weather or something and what to expect yeah. this year in the Farmer's Almanac. But when, Ben Franklin was an author. Was he the original like poor Richard's yeah. almanac was yeah. the original farmer's
1: almanac? Yeah. And so my dad had all these like sayings that, um, and I'm trying to think of more that come to mind. Cause I think of them all the time in real life. Um, but he would have all this like old wisdom of like, I mean, not even like, and this doesn't come from the almanac. But when I was going on spring break my freshman year of college, I was going to Panama City Beach, which I do not advise anyone go to ever. It is an awful place. Is it near Pensacola, Florida? Panama City. It's on the it's on the panhandle. Yeah. And that's- all I know. Okay. Now I had good experiences there, but we could talk about, we could compare and contrast. I went to to like an MTV
0: spring break version. Oh no, we went, we just went on family vacations, but I always remember the the white powder sand was so nice. And uh, I couldn't, anyway,
1: Nancy, I was so drunk the whole time. I couldn't tell you a (laughs) thing about the beach. (laughs) Okay. So
0: you're talking about the milieu of the, of, of spring break. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so I told my dad, you know, this is where I'm going on spring break. And my dad was like, oh, I went on spring break there when I was in college. He went to university of Alabama. He said to me, he said, Rebecca, whatever you do, don't drink the moonshine. It'll make you go blind. And I just looked at him so perplexed because I was like, no one's drinking moose like <laughs> ever. And also like you guys were drinking something so incredibly strong and like oh. un- unregulated that you were going blind from it. Like, oh my gosh. Insanity. Was he speaking metaphorically and kind of being funny? No, not metaphorically at all. Very Like, very serious. Like, okay. And I, I was so just like, (laughs) what, what is that? What are you even saying? Like, and so so a lot of his life experience didn't apply any longer. Um, Oh
0: man. Outdated wisdom.
1: Yeah. Lots of outdated wisdom. And so, you know, like going, we would go swimming for gym class and then have to walk a few feet back to our class in the snow in the winter And, you know, my dad would be like, well, you can't do that because you're going to get the flu and die. Like, because if your hair is wet in the cold, it's like, yeah, there's a little truth to that, but not to the extent that you're saying. Like,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now we have we have antibiotics if I get pneumonia. My dad was born in 1927 and. I, you know, I would love to share just to shout out, let's do a shout out to our dads here because yeah. my dad, um well, three or four things, but some of the old phrases, like when I was on this HOA board and I was thinking of that while I was running today for some reason and they, I have a tendency to speak truth to power and I was not popular on the board and I was <laughs> trying to get them to reduce the responsibilities of our property management guy. Like just let him do the property. Don't let him do the policing because he was being really abusive with some of our residents. And I, I was like, this is not okay. The way he's talking to people. And so anyway, they didn't like me. they, And then they started, uh, what he, my dad said there while well, they're railroading you, you know, cause that's kind of an old term because they're, yeah, they're, they're railroading you off because I called him for advice and my dad was not one to give advice. He was, he would listen. And then his, his saying was, instead of saying whatever, he would go ever what? And then <laughs> you, you had to figure it out. But sometimes he would say, he would just reflective back and say, okay, so they're railroading you. And it's really a matter of how much can you take? And then that was your decision to figure out. He's not going to tell you what to do. But I I always appreciated that about my dad. And the other thing I just want to say that he, when I was in Nepal adopting my son, uh, it was a long story, but they were trying to force me to sign for another child at a different orphanage. I mean, it was that my gut said, this isn't right. There's something wrong here. This orphanage does not there was, it just did not feel right. And I was asking a lot of questions about this child's history and family. And they ended up yelling at me, we will tell you who is an orphan. And I was like, I don't have a good feeling. And there's this huge long holiday in October called the design holiday. And they're like, you must sign before the holiday. It was that high pressure sales feeling. And i emailed my dad. I can still remember where I was when I wrote this email, just sitting this internet cafe. And he wrote back, you know, that simple line, like, when in doubt don't and it it was yeah and and I just thank him because that child was not meant for me to adopt and all roads led to be and I don't know I'm just thankful for every now and then dropping a little pearl of wisdom even though it's it might be a cliche turns out when in doubt don't is another Ben Franklin line. So my dad probably also read Poor Richard's Almanac. I guess everybody else in the world knows what Poor Richard's Almanac is, but me. Okay, I did not always do my homework. Anything like that with your dad where, hey man, I get there's some things were outdated, but were there other times where you just felt advice that was solid or...
1: I mean, one of the most solid pieces of advice that has been coming into my life a lot lately and just in general is a penny saved is a penny earned.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a Ben Franklin one too,
1: doesn't it? Yeah, and it's just the idea of, like, if you're keeping track of things, like, it, it, it a penny sa- like it just it just makes so much sense to me and has really been saving my ass lately with budgeting where I'm like no like if I keep this I earned this like this is this is mine
0: and you're living in New York where you really you can spend a lot of money in New York really fast
1: yeah if you go outside they actually just take twenty three dollars away from you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> just walking out the door. That's yeah. the tax. That's the tax of the sidewalk tax or
1: exactly. something. Exactly.
0: Wow. And where are you? You're in uh, Brooklyn or I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Williamsburg, so northern Brooklyn. I don't know if that well to know where Williamsburg is, but is it nice?
1: I really like where I am. Um I'm two blocks away from a park. I'm two blocks away from the water. I can see the skyline from my roof of the Empire State Building. And um, I feel really lucky to be where I am. I looked all over Brooklyn. And when I found the spot that I currently reside, I was like, this is it.
0: Oh, Um, I'm so happy for you that you. That sounds lovely to be close to water, a park,
1: views. That yeah, sounds so you,
0: nice. go- I, you know, there's something about being around water that is supposed to be a natural antidepressant. Oh, it's
1: so healing, yeah. Yeah. You're using comedy. Let's let's talk about your bit. I just want to say that when choosing a clip for this podcast, I realized that there's a lot of things I wish I had material on or tighter material on um, to present. And then I realized that this kind of tiny inchy chunk about my dad is good and and fits what the profile for the podcast is. I think losing my dad was really difficult. And I sympathize with everyone who's lost a parent, it changes your life, (laughs) whether you're close to them or not, I assume. Um, uh, But there's so many things in my life where I'm like, Oh, like I should, I need to write a joke about that because I am still healing from that. And there are things I do find funny about it. And a lot of my bits are a a lot of my material that I've written has been about, like, I have a lot of material about some abusive ex-boyfriends that I've had and I like the material, but it's just not as strong as it could be. And I like these jokes about my dad more because I feel like they are lighthearted and silly and also honest, very honest.
0: Yeah. And, and healing, like it really is dealing with a, a a very deep loss in a very silly way. And I mean, that's a range right there.
1: Yeah. And I I think, you know, they, they also came organically. And so I think that kind Mm -hmm. of presents its own kind of, I appreciate them for that as well, because that, When I I, when I when he first died and was also in the process of dying, he died of Parkinson's. I would go up at Mike's and I would just say stuff that was the least like (laughs) I might as well have been in a grave saying it instead of into a microphone. Like it was so terribly unfunny because I didn't have I didn't have the looking glass to really break it apart and deal with it because it was still so fresh. So raw and so so in it. Yeah. I I think there are magical moments where you can be raw and also hit the jackpot on on a bit. But I think with time, material becomes stronger just in general. And when you're processing something and healing from something, your material can become stronger because of that.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate, too, that organic part you mentioned because I have I was just talking to somebody else about bits that I have on Instagram that I have honed over the years down to, you know, the syllable, uh, 49 likes or something, or three. I don't know. But then like something where I just go off on something on stage, it's like that it, that that authentic raw share sometimes is what really connects with people.
1: Yeah. And they
0: crave I, that. I think we all crave it. That that that, like you said, the the truth, the authentic connection.
1: Yeah, Jonathan Jonathan Winters said, "Just tell the truth, and people will laugh." That's one of my favorite quotes. I and love just Jonathan things, Winters. Yeah, I love Jonathan Winters as well, and I I just think that's very true. I think obviously there's so many different types of comedy, but I think in some form or another, people are telling their truths whether they're absurdists or one-liners in some way or just conventional, you know, punchline comics, I think in some way a string of truth in there. I, and that if, if it's a good joke, if it's a good chunk, if it's a good special, it's it's built on something real.
0: I'm going to hit play. Let's just see if this plays. Hang on a second.
1: All right, let's do it. Um, I have a dead dad and <laughs> I keep his ashes in a the thermodynamic Iron Man very frugal triathlete keeping her out. Don't worry, he's not in the mug alone. Uh, he's in a Ziploc bag. He's in a bunch of Ziploc bags. I'm selling dime bags to my dad out And I was like, who the fuck have I been
0: talking to? <laughs> Turns out, just some dead guy who likes being called daddy. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so good. And I need to understand, there's a couple of words up front that I sort of lost. That's like where you're saying, I have a dead dad. And then it, he's in a ther-
1: thermos? No. A thermodynamic. Ironman mug. He's in and, a thermodynamic Ironman mug, and yeah, and then just say something
0: about a triathlon. Is that
1: um, because he was a very frugal triathlete? Because <laughs> um, Ironman is a tr- huge triathlon around the country and world. Yeah, uh, was he a triathlete? Yeah, he uh, did. Well, he was a huge triathlete in general, but he completed uh, seven World Championship Ironmans. Wow. And th- 12 half Ironmans and then just a bunch of random like triathlons. And then he did the Boston marathon, the New York marathon, you, you name it. He, he did it. He uh, ran bike and swam every damn day wow
0: i have goosebumps all over what a what an athlete what a super athlete yeah totally oh and then such a crime that he got parkinson's
1: yeah oh my gosh because he really
0: could have outlived you i I mean had he not gotten
1: parkinson's healthy yeah yeah, he he would
0: ah so unfair oh i'm so sorry gosh because yeah, he's a young like you know, I was a marathon runner. I never did a full triathlon. I I went to Kona. You know, I used to live in Hawaii and I went over. Yeah. I went over and watched these guys. I mean, they were just I was in awe. I was I might have it's even watched your crazy. dad. I might have watched your dad compete in this. Yeah. What was his name?
1: Um his name's Elliot Robinson. Elliot Robinson.
0: Wow, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in awe. You don't understand. I used to watch every year ABC.
1: News. No, I mean it's a big deal. It's a- world championship ones. I mean, he did seven of those, and they're in Kona, and they're brutal. The wind is intense. You're swimming in an ocean. Open, uh, with, open
0: like, ocean, two and a half miles of swimming. Yeah,
1: it, and y- you know, you're waking up before the sun is has risen, and you're finishing the you know finishing the race after it's been dark for hours. I mean. It is. I mean, people get blown over in the wind on their bikes. It is. It is a crazy race. I think my dad was absolutely psychotic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: there's something in him that was really driven. I mean, he yeah, was driven. I, you have to be driven I, to to push yourself. You want to know. You want to push like the Ironman Man pushes the body to the max. Yeah,
1: I mean, he he really. I mean, I'm not uh, exaggerating when I say he ran bike and swim every day, he he would take like two days off every year, maybe. So, um, like growing up, you know, when we would maybe go on vacation, it would always be to somewhere where he could run, bike and swim. And, um, you know, every day, just growing up in, in Aspen, he would, you know, run, bike and swim every day. And, his social circle was built around that. His friends were people who he could do those things with. And, um, I mean, I, I asked him, uh, you know, during his, his demise, there's not a better word. I can't think of a better word, uh, uh, yeah. but, but when he, when he was, when he was dying, I asked him like, did you enjoy doing these triathlons did you enjoy running biking swimming every day of your life like were you passionate because I was talking to him about comedy actually I was saying I love this I feel this like fire I feel so passionate about this like is that how you felt about you know doing Ironmans and he said no not really and I said what you're you're crazy why why would you do that then why would you put your body through that and your mind and you know, and he just said, it's something I had to do to stay alive. And so for me, like I heard that as like, he needed to get some sort of anxiety, some sort of pain, something out. And the only way to do it was physically. And- I, I, I relate to that. I actually relate to that. And yeah. I, I've heard, I can't remember
0: what comedian I heard did a joke. Like I would have run a marathon, but I haven't been through a divorce that bad. Uh, yeah. But exactly. it, there is something with the movement. And I do know for me, I, like, I just was telling you, I just went on a run just before this, but it does get stuck energy out and I don't know, it is something to move. Wow. So he had to, it was like, he had to do it. He,
1: he had to do it. And, um, I mean, it was it, it really, I mean, it interrupted a lot of my childhood, but I did get to see him do an Iron Man um, when I was little. I think I was in the fourth grade. We woke up when we woke up, when he woke up and said goodbye, good luck. And then we waited at the finish line. We wore clown wigs and had huge signs so he could see us. And then we actually, my brother and I it was very special um, we got to hold hands and cross the finish line with my dad. Oh, do you have a picture of that? Yeah, I do. I it's actually in my apartment. Um, oh, oh, I would. Can you the- share that with us? Yeah. I
0: want to post yeah. that with this episode because because it's like it's like kind of tragedy in a nutshell, you know. Oh, the it, two little absolutely- clowns running with this very, you know, serious, hardworking man and. And your and dad, yeah. is, and he's full, and like he's 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 full of vitality. I mean, he's yeah. not he's not an old, like to me, I like I was saying, he my dad never, never was on a bicycle that I ever saw. And here's your dad, this amazing. He's never triathlon.
1: old. Yeah, we had to take his bicycle. He was biking biking normally on his road bike. And then he switched to—we uh, had to switch him to a beach cruiser, and then we switched him to a stationary beach cruiser, and then we finally had to take his bike away. And it was really—it was really fucked up. Like, it was something like tearing off a limb of his. Oh. Um, but the thing about my dad, too, was he was so freaking funny um, and had such a great sense of humor that it really— Also, it like you know, it really helped push me and do this. And he was so supportive of me trying to do comedy and writing and being creative because he him, he himself, you know, liked being funny. He was, I mean, at the, when he was, I, say, I hate saying like when he was dying, but when he was dying, he was drinking insure, like insure mm-hmm. shakes every day. And I said, dad, we got to make a commercial, fake <laughs> commercial. And so my dad and I made this fake commercial where he just goes, hmm, Ensure, now my mouth's not so dry. And like just stupid stuff that he was just coming up with on the fly. He barely had a brain at this point, but he still was able to goof around.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I love that you also kind of riffed with him. Like, come on, Dad, let's make a commercial for Ensure. Oh, yeah. yeah. My mom uh, also had Parkinson's at the end of her life. Have they figured out, like, did you? Did your dad ever have a theory of what, how? Because there are some theories about pesticides and other things. I don't know. Did your dad have any?
1: No, but you know, when they diagnosed him, when they finally diagnosed him, they said, you've probably had this disease for the last 15 years. And we did the math and that meant that he had Parkinson's when I was in the first grade, meaning my whole existence, he was living with Parkinson's. I mean, one of the Um, characteristics of Parkinson's is your taste. You can't taste things. And he always attributed it to these antibiotics he took when he was younger. And in fact, it was the Parkinson's.
0: Yeah. They Uh, they crave, uh, my mom craved a lot of sweets. Yeah. Um, Same with my dad. And Uh, lots of, so needing more salt and sugar and things like that, or?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, there was just like little things that once we found out he had Parkinson's, we were like, Oh, those were all behaviors of your Parkinson's. That wasn't your personality. That wasn't your, you know, whatever that was actually the disease. And yeah, like you said, it's very pervasive. I, uh, I don't know how Michael J. Fox is still alive, but whatever they're doing to him, they should be doing to everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know either.
0: I I haven't studied him as much. I know he has that wonderful, like the foundation and doing a lot of research. And I I mean, and it's, and it takes on, it's, uh, takes on a lot of different forms for different people, but someone like your dad, one of the best things you can do if you have Parkinson's is move. Like once you start moving, then you get more fluidity. Um, because I, you know, I stay with my, I stay with my mom a few times, you know, giving, my other sister was taking care of her most of the time at the end. And then I would go and give her breaks and I just, yeah, when the first steps in the morning are, are just so stiff. And then after, if she would move around, um, so maybe he masked it, he must've masked it because of all of his triathlon training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I know we got off on the subject a little bit, but, uh, back to your tromedy. So when you say he had a uh say it again the
1: thermodynamic iron man mug because he was a very frugal triathlete and he'd be proud
0: (laughs) oh okay so that you re re, you reuse something that's the frugal part like a penny and that's back to that penny saved as a penny earned it's like hey this mug's right here and i I mean actually it's really cool that you would that did you really did did you really put his ashes in a
1: Oh yeah, I'm looking at. It. I'll put. I'll send you a picture of the mug in front of the photo of of us running across the finish line, so you can see it.
0: Oh, he loves this. I bet. I mean, again, I'm talking like he, I know people no, on the but other I side, agree. but I feel he loves this that you yeah. honor his. I mean, because even if he didn't, like, like you said, oh, that's your baby. I love your dog too. What's her name? <laughs>
1: his name's Murph. Yeah. He, his name's is a boy. Hey Murph,
0: yeah. does he need to go for a walk?
1: No, he's fine. He just. Uh, doesn't just, hurt your one passing hallway
0: he just wanted to get in on the podcast yeah send a like, picture of Merv too because every time I see Merv <laughs> on Facebook it lifts my spirit he oh, lifts my, okay. he he has that he does have that sweet face that just like I love you he's a,
1: yeah he's a little heart melter he is um I mean the thing about the mug is it is true and it came from the place of You know, we spread his ashes in Aspen. We did a paddle out in Hawaii because um, that's where I'm also from. And then we divided the rest among my brother, my mom, and myself. And my mom got an urn, and I don't know where my brother stores his, but I looked at them and I was like, oh, they're thousands of dollars. Like, I don't have that kind of money And then I just was like, oh, I'll just put it, I just, I don't know what struck me, but I was like, oh, I'll just put it in an Iron Man mug. And the thing is, it has a clear top on it. (laughs) Oh, so you can have a -a (laughs) peekaboo to the ashes. So I have, I have a ribbon uh, in between the ashes and the, and the top because otherwise, but the, the bit, it, it kind of originated when I had this mug of my dad in my bedroom and I had a. A new boyfriend over, things started to seam up, and I re- looked at the mug and I was like, "Oh shit, my dad is in the room!" I got <laughs> yeah, that's- I was like, but I still have to stay sexy and just ran. I have to stay. I can't say what's in the mug. I have to stay sexy, and I have to get it out of here. You know, kind of nonchalant, and so. I I you know I was like hold on you know and um <laughs> and I moved this mug to my kitchen and to a different room and he was like what was in that mug? Uh, like, why'd you move that? He's like, why'd you move that mug? Like in the ran, in the randomness of us hooking up. And, uh, <laughs> and I had to be like, oh yeah, that's my dad.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I love it. I love that you tried. I think that's like a funny little sketch right there of ways oh, yeah, of you trying to just try to like slink up just one
1: second. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love it. Sort of like I need to change into something more comfortable. I was like, "Fuck oh, this dead body." <laughs> I love
0: that. I love that you shared that. Yeah, there is that thing like I don't want to kill the mood, but I also need to take care of this situation.
1: Yeah, I was like, I can't have sex
0: in front <laughs> of my dad. <laughs> maybe maybe you should put it in like a little puppet playhouse with a little curtain that like t- show's over <laughs> for now. You know. <laughs> uh, I love I love what you said too about. Oh, this is a great bit. And that all came to you organically. Like you said, your dad's in a bunch of baggies and you're selling dime baggies after this show of your dad.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, that's one of my favorite phrases to say just because either people... Really get it, or they don't get it at all. But the people who get it, I'm like hell yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> and the Ouija board, and
0: your dad was dyslexic, and then I don't know. Yeah,
1: all true. All true. It, I did. It, I didn't. I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't get a, a Ouija board during quarantine. I thought about it, but then like, I don't have anyone to do this with. So <laughs> yeah, you gotta have yeah. There's gotta be somebody you, on the other side. You have to have someone else to do a Ouija board with. Yeah, so Merv, I was like, come on, Merv, put your exactly. paw. Exactly. Get your paw up here. <laughs> train him how to ouija it's like does your dog shake nobody knows how to use a ouija board <laughs> oh that's hilarious and then you, we got your paws we're gonna yeah to, yeah exactly to connect with my he, paw he's uh, just spelling out steak every time <laughs> uh, that's brilliant but yeah so i mean you know, I I am sure you can identify with this because we were talking about like spirituality, but trying to connect to that higher higher self or higher whatever um, existence um, what remains and being like, how do I do that? Like, are, is there something that can facilitate that? Like, how do I plug into talking to my dad or, or experiencing that, saying he was, you know, he, he didn't believe in the afterlife. And so it just was someone saying ca- that I was calling daddy. <laughs> ah, I love that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. now that bit is actually, it's longer now. It's a little It's a little bit longer of a chunk and I'm very grateful for that. <laughs>
0: Oh man, this can go on and on. And I, I was thinking about the term sugar daddy versus a spirit daddy. Uh, somehow oh. <laughs> I spirit daddy. I, and I, you know, my dad didn't believe in the afterlife either. He was just like, Hey, you know, when you're dead, you're dead. You're six feet under. But then again, I, the, I have so many moments of connections with it and whether it's real or imagined, I don't know, but it feels real that he, he has his consciousness is around. Uh,
1: yeah. There's this um, ghost town in Aspen or outside of Aspen, but it it, it was a booming town during the Silver Boom. It was huge. It had 30,000 people, which in comparison right now, Aspen has 8,000 residents. So um, this ghost town now uh, remains. And I go up whenever i'm home i go up to um ashcroft the ghost town and i talk to the people in my life who i've lost because mm. i feel like they're with the ghosts
0: yeah like the the you veil know? is thin over ashcroft or something
1: yeah exactly there's something still there and um you know i i learned to cuz it was really hard for me to connect and i mean it still is difficult but one of the things that i do is i like record a video of myself talking to my dad and instead of like being on the phone with him it's like a phone call but like I'm just like facing the camera that's helped a lot
0: (laughs) yeah because you kind of are attuning with yourself when you're doing it you're like you're being both parts a little bit like it's happening and there's
1: yeah I'm projecting what I want back and um you know, seeing, you know, making meaning out of, out of whatever I can make meaning out of. My dad died on October 18th, 2018. And three days later, I was emailing bookers in New York and I planned a 10 day run in New York. Meanwhile, I was writing his obituary and I'm emailing all these bookers. Can I do your show? Here's when I'll be in town, you know, and my dad just died and um i'm i'm in the midst of writing his obi- sending his obituary out as well to a few different places and i accidentally sent his obituary <laughs> a booker and i sent my comedy email to the obituary people because i was just in such haze of death (laughs) it didn't get booked on the show Um, (laughs) you would think at least a sympathy book but i know i I would have booked you yeah but um i thought that was i just oh that's
0: hilarious that you transpose those. (laughs) And I'm so curious what the newspaper said back or wherever, or the funeral home or wherever you were sending the obituary, like, well, you want
1: to open Gladys. Yeah. They were like, we're not a comedy venue. Like they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, Oh, That's how I figured out it was wrong was because the e- the newspaper emailed me and then I went back to Facebook Messenger and I go no I
0: thought you were gonna say and now I'm playing funeral homes all across the nation yeah I, exactly I'm the opening act and it's a thing you know somebody was telling me I, I, they have been booked at funerals like as a as a as a comedian or as a, I, like a magician or, I don't know Nancy, I I'm
1: not I'm not I, I don't want to brag but I killed my at my dad's memorial memorial <laughs> was, that your, be- was that your was that your best set it was such a good set i i mean i really crushed among so many different demographics of people <laughs> and i i was hosting it and his friends are funny and it was just one of those things where like I, afterwards, I looked at my mom and I go, that was, I, she goes, that was really funny. And I go, yeah, it was, that was not supposed to be that, like, it wasn't supposed to be funny, but I don't know how else to be. And like, I think that goes back to what we're talking about, which is dealing with trauma with comedy. You know, like the only way I knew how to host a memorial service was to be like, and here's another joke. (laughs) Yeah. That
0: whole range of trauma from the dark to the light and back again. And it moved. There's a movement in it. And that, you know, when you go from such the proximity of like, gosh, you know, this is this huge loss that just happened. And then having that release. Yeah, it's powerful.
1: I knew he wanted me to do do comedy and follow, follow my heart. So I was like, time to make it real and go to New York and try it out for the first time.
0: Fantastic. I'm so glad you did. And it's so fun to watch you grow as a comedian. I need to see you again. So, when are you? Didn't know when you're coming back to Colorado. Is Aspen still a festival or is there anything going
1: on in Aspen? Uh, f- no, unfortunately, COVID ended the festival. Um, But they do do they do still do some shows every once in a while up in Snowmass, which is about 10 minutes away from Aspen. Oh, I've been working up there. Uh, I love
0: doing the Snowmass, the collective. Yeah, the collective. Yeah, Yeah. I love that venue. I've had a lot of fun. Anything else you want to add today? The hour goes so fast.
1: Yeah, I I just want to say thank you for this, because talking about dead parents isn't something you like do at a bar with friends. I I think it's just so beautiful when people are able to deal with different things with jokes and humor. And I feel really blessed that I'm finally able to write about my dad in a funny way.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, That shows the healing has happened and some perspective and I don't know, just acceptance, I guess. And funny enough, though, last night I was in a bar talking about my mother's death, Uh, you know. And the fact that I killed her—it's complicated. Uh, and she asked me to, so I did honor the um, the call. But it's so funny. I wanted to say this. I have to share it. My mother, you know, because there's a lot. We had a lot of. Oh my gosh, we had a lot of hard times, and uh, there's a lot of trauma there. But I mean, I loved her. I love my mother, and I know she did her best. And my mother knew me so well. She was sort of psychic herself. And anyway. When she died, my older sister said, oh, and mom wants you to write her obituary. And I was, you know, like she knows yeah. I, she's going to force me to write nice things about her. And um, my son, one of his first jokes he ever wrote. I like when you can swear inside of a word like obituary.
1: that's fun anyway i got there's
0: something there i gotta i gotta i gotta work on a bit about my you gotta buy that bit from him i did well i know i've already oh i've paid for it believe me um (laughs) but that i do need to do an obituary like joke you know or something because my mother it's just i know that was her last joke on me was like okay you gotta say
1: really nice things it's my i mean my dad left a list of things that he wanted in his obituary and when my aunt read it she was like, well, you forgot this on the list. And I was like, yeah, but do they really all need to be in there? Like, this is just, we're bragging at this point.
0: <laughs> we have bullet points. We need to get the bullet points in.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I have adored this conversation. I always love when people really will drop in and share, and you have so many ways of approaching things. I really appreciate that, Rebecca. I can tell you you're very thoughtful you've really thought about things from all kinds of different perspectives and I mean that is also one of the gifts of humor that gives us multiple perspectives
1: yeah well
0: let's talk again and then maybe I'll get to see you someday out there yeah come to New York I've never really played New York I I, I get. I guess it's so inside I've always heard you have to kind of really work at getting inside uh, to do the rooms in New York
1: you're Nancy frickin' Norton you can do anything
0: yeah Nancy frickin' Norton that's what I'm going to (laughs) change my name to well thank you Rebecca Rose Robinson seriously thanks for doing Traumedy of
1: course thank you so much I
0: want to thank my guest Rebecca Robinson you can follow Rebecca on Instagram at Becca Robbs b-e-c-c-a-r-o-b-s underscore that's art that's easy for me to say that's becca robs it sounds like she steals but i know she doesn't becca robs b-e-c-c-a-r-o-b-s underscore Check out Rebecca Robinson's website, BeccaRobbs.com, where you can check out her Substack. You guys, I am so out of the loop on the Substack. Apparently, it's a great place to publish writing. Check out her writing on her Substack, BeccaRobbs.com. I want to thank my son, Nathaniel Norton, for the podcast music. If you want to be a contributor to Traumedy, Do you have skills that you want to share or wisdom you want to share? Did you have an experience? You don't have to be a comedian. Are you somebody who can guide us? We're all coping with trauma. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And remember, it's Traumedy with Nancy Norton. New episode every Tuesday.